นโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะหะโตสัมมาสัมบุตตะสามนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะหะโตสัมมาสัมบุตตะสามนโมทัสสะภะวะโตอะหะโตสัมมาสัมบุตตะสามพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามะสังฆ์ I'd like to consider this evening the theme of where we where do we turn when we're looking for strength if we're feeling depleted challenged Where do we turn? What do we draw on? Where do we turn to draw strength? And of course, I'm not talking here about physical strength, and we know what to do about that. We have a nice meal or have a good rest. So, if it's a more superficial level of emotional strength, maybe we we might uh, you know, do some exercise or listen to some music. But when we're feeling more deeply Um, or we could say, on a, on a heart level, uh, spiritually challenged or or depleted, and partly wanting to uh, share a contemplation on this with you, because uh, my experience and my observation has been that you don't want to wait until. You're being terribly challenged before you put some effort, before we invest in in becoming quite conscious of how we cultivate these supports. How do we cultivate those energies that we turn to for support? Making this conscious and Again, as an example of physically, if you get sick, well, hopefully you already know where the local doctors are. You know, we we know where to go and how to find support when we need it. And so, on a spiritual level, making it quite conscious what the possibilities are, what's available to strengthen us when we feel we need it. In our monastic training, we have a recollection. Those of you that have stayed at the monastery will probably have heard this uh, recollection we do in the morning, chanting uh, on the uh, mindful use of what we call the four supports. But these are talking about material supports. They're talking about robes, arms, food, shelter, and medicine. And so we have this uh, recollection that we do. Uh, Pati sanka yoni so ji orang pati sewa me, which means uh, properly reflecting. I use the robe only to ward off cold, to ward off heat, and so on. And I'm encouraged to do this on a regular basis to make this recollection conscious. And in the monastery that I was first ordained in in Thailand, it was emphasised to the degree where you would also do it in the evening. Ajamaya pachawai kitawa yang jiwarang paributang. Whatever robe I have used during the day, 
not properly recollecting, then it was for the purposes of warning off cold, warning off ina. The idea behind this, as in a lot of the Buddha's teachings, is that although we might have a wholesome attitude or some good understanding, if we don't make it really conscious, then we miss out. And So this is also uh, behind uh, my wish this evening to encourage us all to pay attention to what we find in our own lives uh, what gives us strength you know, when, we, when we're really feeling challenged where do we turn and not to wait until we're in the thick of it before we're aware of this and so my own thoughts on this, and this I emphasize this is not something you'll find in the scriptures, but uh, my own thoughts on this when I figure uh, you know, where, where do I turn, what do I value uh, in terms of spiritual support on the heart level. Yes, the four material supports, the robes, the food, shelter, the medicine, I know about that. And, but these uh, on the heart level, where do I turn? Something that I spoke with uh, to our community the other day about this because it's uh, at any level of training whether you're living the monastic life or the householder's life all of us uh, at least in this gathering have spiritual aspirations uh, spiritual inclinations and we need to know how we nourish them so first on my list is uh, faith conscious faith it's, uh, have we stopped to inspect it? Yeah. Now, we may prefer a different word. We may prefer trust or confidence or the Pali word and sadha. And when the Buddha taught about the, the, the five spiritual faculties, and this is the first one, this is sadha. Um, after looking into it myself for a good number of years, I, I'm pretty comfortable just with using the word faith, but I can understand that for some people... That still carries all sorts of connotations, but the point is, what's it referring to? What's it? In our own culture, we have the expression, faith can move mountains. So what does that mean? Faith makes it possible to do things that look impossible. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about something that means that we can face that which appears impossible. Yeah. I would say faith is that capacity for seeing beyond the way things appear to be. That's part of it. I mean, there's, of course, there's a lot we could say about it. But yeah. are we always uh, fooled by the way things appear to be? Uh, regularly, on all sorts of levels, we encounter experiences in life where the way it appears to be is one thing, but after some time and after a little investigation... Actually, the reality, actuality, was completely different. So there's apparent reality and actuality. And we can be easily fooled by apparent reality if we're not discerning. We may not necessarily be sufficiently discerning, but if we've got faith, then we're cautious about believing in the way things appear to be. And using the other word belief is uh, important to bring to mind the difference between believing and, and trusting or believing and having faith. 
believing is something that we can be conditioned to do and we do do with our thinking and our heads. But faith, sadha, trust, confidence surely is something that it happens on the heart level and it's really important that we make this conscious. This, is, this can be a tremendous source of support. If we're on the spiritual journey then absolutely as we undo the tangles of our deluded thinking and our, the views that we attach to as we let go of these things certainly we're going to feel unstable certainly we're going to feel confused certainly we're going to feel disoriented and if all we have is our ideas and views that we're attached to and we go back up into our head and we reassure ourselves and encourage ourselves oh yes I know what I'm doing yes I'm going the right direction well, if we're really serious about our investigations and we, we're throwing ourselves into the spiritual journey with sincerity and with commitment, then we're supposed to feel utterly challenged, utterly threatened to the core. <laughs> I was just preparing the quotes uh, for our calendar for 2018. Tan is visiting from, uh, from Portugal, which is very nice. And uh, he's helping, as usual, prepare the calendar. And one of the quotes that I was um, putting forward there was something Ajahn Chah said, which is, you know, even though the teachings will make you feel threatened to the core, don't give up. And so sooner or later, even without the, the craziness that the external world throws at us, uh, internally, sooner or later, we are going to feel very challenged and threatened and where do we turn do we just go to our our ideas our beliefs in our head or is there a source of support on the heart level where we can open rather than closing down and clinging can we open and trust in actuality or in buddhist speak in dhamma now i would uh, it's just if we, don't, if we don't have a conscious capacity or a conscious relationship with this capacity, then we are missing out. And it's really important to find our own way of coming into a conscious relationship with this, this possibility. Not being sure. Probably now more so than ever, we're programmed to find security in clinging to views and ideas and when our views and ideas are threatened we feel seriously undermined and so it's perhaps even more important for us uh, that we work on this and perhaps probably a good number of us have traveled to other cultures where people are generally uh, more faith oriented and they tend to not be control freaks like us they tend to be a lot easier to be with you know, go and spend time in some of these countries and it's just so nice to be around people who are not control freaks. Yeah. Faith means you don't have to control. If it's not tried and tested faith, it can be naive faith. So, you know, um, please don't mistake my recommendation here for cultivating faith as, as an encouragement to have a naive form of faith, a kind of faith that the Buddha wanted us to to depend on, to build on, to turn to as a support for our practice as a tried and tested faith, as a kind of faith that isn't threatened by questioning. 
an open-hearted faith, a faith that is associated with uh, mindfulness, uh, with, with right understanding. And, mm. So this quality of faith also supports compassion, allowing. You know, and when we're locked into our control freak mode, we tend to want to be able to always fix life. And I, I've been considering this just in the last few days, how it uh, came to my notice that uh, with some of the uh, world events of late, and the, a lot of sadness around. And uh, there are sometimes it's the case that if we're not coming from a place of tried and tested faith and trust and open-heartedness, that when we're faced with sadness, we just compulsively try to fix it. You know, we, for instance, we don't let people you know, be sad. A compassionate relationship is where we receive people where they're at. And if sadness is called for, we recognize and share allow the sadness that's what's happening we don't have to default to trying to be positive or trying to understand or trying desperately to be equanimous if we have access to genuine understanding and equanimity well that's a gift also but without faith there is a risk that we well, we're vulnerable to defaulting to these reactions. And even if we're sincerely committed to a spiritual path, we, we can fall prey to always trying to be positive about everything when really sometimes what's called for is just to allow the sadness to be there. Sadness can also be an aspect of intelligence. You know, if we close down on it, we can be missing out again. So conscious faith is not afraid of of being challenged, it receives challenge and uh, allows us to stay conscious even in the midst of it. Mm. So second on my list of uh, what I consider as really important sources of spiritual support is our precepts. Cultivating a conscious recognition of the place of precepts and the reason for this, to go back to what the Buddha himself said about this, is when, when the Buddha was asked by the Venerable Ananda, what is the place of sila? What is it? And the Buddha answered and said, it means that you can live free from remorse. Life is threatening. Yeah, nobody would deny that. I mean, as it happens, we all live in a a really fortunate circumstance. We have a very high degree of, of uh, convenience, uh, excellent health care, excellent access to nourishment and, and protection and, and the rule of law and uh, look at what's going on. In most of the world, we rank as uh, some of the most privileged people on the planet. Uh, well, we can forget that and take it all for granted and think that this is a comfortable Adventure, <laughs> but life is not a comfortable adventure. You know, you look around. Actually, we could lose this comfort and convenience very, very quickly. 
and and feel unsafe. And a lot of people in the world do not feel safe like we do. We can't always change the environment we live in. We can't always change the circumstances, the conditions around us are sometimes completely out of our control. But what we can change, what we can cultivate, is an inner sense of security. And again, this is what the Buddha and all the great teachers were pointing towards, and the, the absolute foundational importance of sila, or cultivating wisely, mindfully cultivating the precepts. It helps us feel safe. When I lived in Thailand, I heard I didn't necessarily have much experience myself of going on Tudong. You know, some of you would have read these uh, books that are around, uh, <clears throat> teachers who lived off in the jungles, and some of our senior monks, and Ajahn Tiradhamma, he was a great one for going out there, Ajahn Pasano from California. They were great for going out and living in the jungles with the monkeys and the elephants and so on, and I didn't have much experience in that myself, but I did hear that when monks go off on Tudong, they go wandering in the forest looking for solitude and wanting to really challenge their uh, heedless habits, uh, part of the preparation, part of their encouragement that their teachers will give them that when they're out there on their own and they're feeling really threatened, whether it's by sickness or wild animals or internal turmoil, yeah. how do you strengthen yourself? Where do you turn to find security? You contemplate your precepts. This is what they're told. Yeah. When you contemplate the purity of your intention, what happens is the heart feels secure. And it's got nothing to do with whether we think it should be that way. It just is that way. This is, this is one of the laws. This is part of reality. This is part of actuality. Yeah. On an apparent level, on the level of apparent reality, we may not necessarily see the logic of that, but that's how it is. And... So it's really worth cultivating, paying attention to. It's like if you put put sugar on your porridge in the morning, it's sweet, right? You put salt on your porridge, it's salty. When I was a child, my auntie used to put salt on her porridge, which I always thought was very peculiar. She said, that's what people in Scotland do. And I'd never found out if that's true or not, but... That's what she said, that people in Scotland put salt on their porridge. But that's, <laughs> whatever. You put salt in your porridge, it's salty. You put sugar in your porridge, it's sweet. If we cultivate integrity and we make it conscious, we have a conscious appreciation of our commitment to cultivate integrity, then part of the result of that is an inner sense of, of safety. So... This is something that we can uh, hopefully uh, reflect on in our own life from mistakes we've made in the past, uh, hopefully not too serious, but we you know, think, well, there was the cause and there was the effect. You know, We don't feel good when we reflect on having compromised integrity. And so this may not be necessarily obvious, but as something that when we're feeling threatened, by internal or external circumstances, yeah. not to feel hopeless. Yeah. And believe in that. Now we might feel hopeless, but we don't have to believe in that. 
I've noticed in recent years there's been quite a lot of talk about cultivating hope. Uh, there's this school of positive psychology around now and seems to be having its influence and people talking about this positive emotion of hope. And yes, absolutely, hope can be powerful, can be a positive emotion. But hope can also be, you know, it can be very naive. You know, it depends where it comes from. If hope is coming, is born out of tried and tested faith, you know, then yes, it can really buoy us up and support us. But it's not something to cling to. It's not, naive hope is not a reliable support. You know, when our hopefulness is threatened and taken away from us and we feel hopeless, what is there that we can turn to? Well, hopefully, we can turn to our faith. Hopefully, we can turn to a conscious relationship to our cultivation of precepts. And not to, not to take them for granted. I mean, it hardly needs to be said the degree of compromise that we're surrounded by is so uh, intense um, that we can become used to it. We can be, become used to dishonesty uh, on all sorts of levels. We can become used to abuse. But it's another good reason for, for uh, cultivating the next source of support in my list, which is spiritual companions. If we spend time with our good friends, you know, with our spiritual companions, people who share the same values that we have, who share our spiritual aspiration, who, who share our commitment to cultivate integrity, spending time with such people helps remind us and say, no, that is not okay. You know, even if everybody else says it's okay, it's not okay. Uh, and to find strength in that, to find conviction in that, to, to stand by that and to be willing to act and speak from that place. Now, now if we don't have spiritual companions, yeah, it's, it's easy to fall into the perception that I'm all alone with this. I mean, you know, the, the Buddha absolutely encouraged spiritual community as a source of support, spiritual companionship as a source of support. Uh, cultivating conscious friendship as a source of support. And he spoke about you know, the different qualities of a good friend. This person, you talk about, one stage you talk about these seven qualities of a person who's, who's somebody that's really worth associating with and, and talked about how somebody who's a real friend will be like this. If they're not like this, then you, you know, be careful. They're not necessarily a real friend. They may be somebody who who tells you what you like to hear, but that's uh, not necessarily a real friend. Uh, a real friend is somebody who is going to be really dependable. A real friend is somebody who, whether you completely got it all together and, and, and doing well in life or you're completely falling apart, they're there for you. Yeah. That's a real friend. Uh, a real friend is somebody who you might share your vulnerability and your secrets with in life and they keep them. They don't gossip about you. That's a real friend. So do we know what a real friend is? Do we know who our real friends are? And 
like our precepts, do we really invest in them? Do we really value them? Like these things, these, these uh, sources of support, like with the material levels of support that in our monastic training the Buddha pointed out these, you know, the requisites that the lay folk out of faith offer to the monks and nuns, the robes, the food, the shelter, the medicine. If you use these things heedlessly, you'll take them for granted and actually uh, it's taught that this is, an <laughs> this is an express ticket to hell realms. I think being a monk or being a nun is a great idea. Well, it's pointed out very strongly that uh, the hell realms actually are full of uh, misbehaved monks and part of the encouragement to don't take the material resources for granted, don't forget to value them and respect them is because if you do, then the future doesn't bode well. And so it is with our spiritual resources, you know, with our faith. Maybe we have faith, but do we have a conscious relationship to faith? Do we really value it? Do we really value our faith? Do we challenge it? Do we develop it? Our precepts? You know, do we get a little sloppy with them because everybody else is? Or do we really work on being impeccable? Yeah. Just because everybody else drinks at Christmas or lies, is that what we set as our standard? Yeah. And likewise with our companions do we really truly value them just because a friend says something maybe we don't like does that mean that we're going to cold shoulder them yeah Yeah, maybe actually if they're a real friend (laughs) they might be inclined to give us some direct feedback yeah so anyway to be careful about our friends you know not to take them for granted you know we can be so casual sometimes about the good fortune that we have that we we get negligent and, you know, like not just our friends but also our relatives those you know who we've depended upon particularly our parents yeah. other societies that I'm sure we're all familiar with you know, there's a great emphasis on on continually repeatedly showing respect to our parents. The Buddha himself, as many of us here would know, said we can never repay our debt to our parents. The example that he gave of every time your parents wanted to go somewhere, you actually physically carried them around on your shoulder. Still, you would not repay the debt that you owe to your parents. The amount of care and attention that they invested in us when we were young and vulnerable means that we're always indebted to them. And and the wise, the skillful, the appropriate thing to do is to honour that uh, by expressing our, our gratitude and our respect uh, to our parents. And so, in other words, to value them. And so, with our friends, with our family, with our relatives, those on who we've depended, yeah, those who we would turn to if we were in trouble. Yeah, I, I find this a, a helpful reflection. Yeah. And sometimes in people in the monastic community uh, thinking about going here or there or traveling, uh, going away for a while, and I uh, try to quietly remind them and say, well, you know, don't forget the monastery that you trained in. Or, or for instance, uh, think about what would happen if you got really sick, if you had an accident and you needed to be cared for. Who would you turn to? Who would we really turn to? Who are our friends? Who are our supports? 
or in the monastic life, you know, who are our spiritual companions, who are our family. Well, those people we actually already owe a debt to. Now, that's not to make ourselves feel all guilty, but to be considerate, you know, like with the four requisites, the four material requisites, uh, wisely considering the robes, the shelter, the food, the medicine, you know, so, so wisely, skillfully considering those supports that we actually depend on. Even if right now we're not really in need, even if right now we're doing okay, let's not wait until uh, things are falling apart before we cultivate a conscious relationship with these supports. And so the fourth on my list, uh, and again I encourage everybody to find their own list of what they consider, feel are their their important uh, primary levels of support. Uh, The fourth on my list is is knowledge. Uh, That the basic knowledge about reality that we have the good fortune to be able to study is tremendously important. Yes, our goal is realisation. Yes, what we're looking for is complete liberation, not dependence on anything. Realisation of the purity of consciousness that doesn't depend on anything, that is perfectly inherently adequate and sufficient in and of itself. That's why we go for refuge to the Buddha, because that was the Buddha's consciousness. It wasn't needing anything, wasn't dependent on anything. And we have faith, we have confidence that that potential is there. But in the meanwhile, we're not there. We do need supports. And knowledge that accords with reality is absolutely uh, one of the most important uh, sources of support. Now, we don't have accurate knowledge. We can be investing our energy in going the wrong direction. It's not the case that all... Spiritual information, it's not the case that all the uh, teachings that there are floating around are going to serve our highest aspirations. Some of it can take us in completely the wrong direction. I know that, speaking personally. You can have a lot of confidence in something but not be properly informed, be completely wrongly informed. And so we have this interest, we have the interest in being free from suffering, we have the interest in reality, and we have the confidence that it's possible, but are we rightly informed? And so thankfully, in this day and age, in this period in the evolution of, of human beings, we still have access to uh, wise teachings that we can depend upon. We still have the teachings from the scriptures, and we still have the teachings and commentary from those beings who have realisation of the teachings. And so uh, as a conscious source of support, I would really strongly encourage all of us to uh, consider that. Um, Have we studied enough so that on that level we feel confident? Have we got a little niggling? I don't really understand what the Buddha meant by rebirth. What did the Buddha teach about it anyway? It's not the same as reincarnation. Yeah, what the, for instance, what the Hindus might teach about reincarnation is not the same thing as what the Buddha taught about rebirth. Yeah, or what the Christians teach about you know, life after death is not the same as what the Buddha taught about rebirth. Or the law of karma. 
You might think that the law of karma is what you get is what you deserve or something. Well, don't just jump to the conclusion that a, a simplistic initial understanding of the law of karma is good enough. And the Buddha's teachings, uh, yes, they can be super complex. And it's not the case that all of us need to study everything and understand everything. But all of us have our own level of intellectual curiosity. All of us have our own level of intellectual uncertainty and if we don't gratify our own personal level of intellectual uncertainty to a good enough level, if we don't gratify, if we don't deal with it, if we don't address that, then there are going to be these niggling doubts. What was the Buddha's teachings on anatta anyway? Say, oh, it's too confusing, I don't want to deal with that. Well, it's pretty important actually, Buddha's teachings on anatta. You're not going to gratify an intellectual curiosity about the teachings on anatta by a bit of information, but it is important that we have a good enough understanding, an accurate approximation. That's what all all the teachings are approximations, and each of us has our own level of need to meet that. So it's not the case that Somebody else's superior, sophisticated, complex understanding of, of the Buddha's teachings that you find in something like the Abhidhamma or, or even the Patichisamapada, the 12 links of dependent origination. If that you know, doesn't attract your interest, well, that, you know, that might just be fine. Yeah. But each of us need to find our own level of contentment, and that does require study and finding confidence on that level. So when we have confidence on the level of understanding the Buddha's teachings conceptually, that's a great source of support. And when we have confidence that we're honouring our relationships with our friends, those on whom we depend, that's a great source of support. We have confidence on the level of our precepts that, yes, we're working on this. This is work in progress. And then we have confidence about how we contact confidence itself or faith or trust, and that also can be a great source of support. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. Sadhu, sadhu.